The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks, covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, for a limited time, receive a complimentary athletic subscription. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Hello and welcome to the Forum Club, the Lakers podcast on the Athletics NBA Podcast Network. I'm Bill Warham, joined by Anthony Slater. It is September, which means we are back in the month that this season started with Media Day back in September of 2019. And certainly not for the first time this year, uh, we saw something unprecedented this week, something we'd never seen before in the history of the NBA. Players uh, asserting themselves and... um, you know, a really empowering moment where they stepped away from the game in their uh, quest to bring change to the country. Uh, and the Lakers are, you know, it came out of that, um, that, that pause, finish off the Portland Trailblazers, like we assumed they would, but certainly a few days later than previously scheduled. And now they wait, Anthony Slater, waiting on the, the result from Houston and Oklahoma City, which heads to Game 7. I think they thought they weren't going to have to wait. I think they believed they were going to be playing Wednesday night. Uh, you know, I even in some of their, what I guess it was, a Monday availability, like Kyle Kuzma was already talking like it was the Rockets. Like, you know, well, in our next series against Houston, I'm going to have to guard this, you know, type of matchup. Um, because that was the prevailing thought, that it was going to be um, the Rockets, I still think it's going to be. Um, but even though the Rockets are the better team, if you look point differential in the series, they're blowing the Thunder out in their three wins by 20, by 24, by 30. Um, the Thunder, if you get it in a closed game right now, the Houston looks tight, like they're feeling the pressure. And Chris Paul is like a shark in the water. He closed them out last night. And I just, suddenly it's very dangerous for Houston to get Chris Paul in a game seven. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing that obviously want to avoid because if I'm looking at the Lakers and their next round opponent, plenty of respect for Oklahoma City. I think they're one of the absolute best stories in the NBA this year, but you don't look at them as a threat to knock off the Lakers. And you and I have been talking for weeks that Houston is really the first opponent that the Lakers could get in the postseason who would be an actual threat to end LeBron's 17th season and this in this first year uh, with Frank Vogel and Anthony Davis. So um, would be a huge win for the Lakers if uh, if if Oklahoma City prevailed in Game Seven. But I think it was a win for the Lakers um, just getting this to a seventh game in terms of being able to reset a little bit between games, have time to prepare. Uh, players were getting their families in the bubble this week. Uh, some 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 players, and so I think getting a little bit of time with with their family. Uh, before having to go back onto the court and and playing an, another playoff series, which obviously requires a, an incredible amount of focus, you know, to me, I think it's probably good for everybody who's been away from their loved ones for two months. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, there's two sides of that coin where they're going to be really behind schedule wise. But by the time they play Game One, the East, both East series will have already played three games, uh, and it's like an imbalance you rarely see in the NBA. You know, usually they really try to keep the calendar similar, where you know. The, the games in this conference are going on at the same time in, in those, but you couldn't really do it this time with everything logistically going on. So they might pay for it a bit down the road, particularly if they have long series ahead of them, if they go six in round two and then have to speed it up and immediately start the conference finals. Um, it'll be interesting. And, you know, even let's say they do advance to the finals 
the way right now the schedules are lining up, again, the NBA might find a way to, to rebalance, but the East might be sitting there waiting for the West. Um, and, you know, just kind of like the Lakers right now are sitting there waiting for the Rockets. And that you would presume is good for the Lakers. You know, that it kind of looks like a tired Rockets team emotionally. Um, meanwhile, yeah, the Lakers are chilling. Lakers can be watching or eating popcorn, watching that game seven. And I think kind of wearing some thunder colors because that would be good for them. If the thunder one. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a good point too. And maybe it's the same conversation we had about Portland coming out of the seeding games, but you're going to have a Houston team that needed seven, you know, exhausting games to just get through Oklahoma City, assuming that's what happens. You and I both seem to think it is going to be. But they'll be coming right off of one intense playoff series into another one 48 hours later on Friday. Um, You know, it's kind of the same position that Portland was in coming into that first round. And the Lakers were the ones who were sitting back and waiting. They had almost a week between between games. Um, You know, LeBron didn't really play in their last seeding game, and a lot of guys didn't. So it was, you know, essentially a week for them. And it'll be the same thing when they get to game one of round two, whoever it is. And they're going to get an opponent that is still, you know, in a high gear coming off of a a win. And we saw how that affected the first round against Portland, uh, which we're going to take a look back at here with Portland uh, coming in and, and, and stealing game one. Maybe a little bit of rust for the Lakers going into that first round. Is that what is that what you saw? I mean, obviously five for thirty two from three didn't shoot free throws well. A pretty terrible uh, shooting performance in game one. Yeah, there was that. You know, I think um, as series go on, you can kind of form your defensive identity within a series. What you know, they got it was good for them to get that game one tape and decide exactly how they wanted to play Lillard. And then to me, once they shut that faucet off. It was, you know, over. Um, And yeah, I mean, like just getting your body used to 39 high intensity minutes instead of like 32, you know, LeBron's kind of floating through. Um, But I would assume, well, the weird thing is, so the Lakers really seemed like they were getting into a rhythm by game four. You know, they had the big game four blowout win uh, to go up 3-1 it was they look like the best team in the west i think it was right before our last podcast like remember we were talking about like hey lakers look kind of like the best team in the west then you had the the whatever it was about four day stoppage um and then they didn't look that good in game 5 i think a lot of that was there was no threat level anymore lillard was out of the bubble portland was clearly ready to kind of cruise into its off season um and sometimes you need a threat level to play at your best um but the lakers didn't have that so they haven't really played a true playoff game they will not have since game four which i mean that'll be what probably like a 10-day break between game four of the last round and game one in the next round so yeah that could be a concern going into game one but um you'll take that over you know fighting a seven game war against portland and i think the thing we learned in the first round is that also you have guys who are capable of stepping into the spotlight and i hate to use the term turning on the switch but lebron james anthony davis have risen to the occasion in the playoffs and 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 especially lebron is somebody who knows what to do once 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 the series has begun and i think ad has 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 learned that over the course of this series i mean what we saw from him in as the series went on i thought was you know pretty impressive the way he kind of gained momentum and gained strength as that series against Portland progressed right up to a, what, 41, 42 point performance in in game five. To me, that was a real sign that they had kind of locked in and and the first round had been sort of the, the palate cleanser that they needed from the long layoff during the pandemic hi- related hiatus and then, and then get to, you know, kind of the 
the teeth of the playoffs. They're there now, but I thought they um, kind of accomplished what they needed to accomplish in the first round. They they shook off the rust. They found their stroke from outside. Not not great. I mean, but you know, certainly recovered from the way they were shooting in in the seeding games. They got Anthony Davis's feet wet in terms of playing in that atmosphere with LeBron. Something you know he had never done, and even playing in the playoffs, relatively limited experience uh, compared to LeBron. And now there's. Some experience. There's some, some playoff chemistry that's formed between those two. 34% from three as a team in the first round. That's about where you expect them to be. You know, like like you said, the seeding games were an aberration and how bad it was. And, uh, you know, to win a title, you you know, or maybe not even to win a title, to beat the Clippers, maybe they need to be 36, 37-ish percent, you know, have a little bit better series than maybe you'd expect. But, um Eh, they be if they make thirty four percent of their threes in a series, they're really dangerous because of everything else they do. And thirty four percent is not even very good, um, but they killed for it. Right, and it's because of what they what they do in addition to knocking down thirty four percent of their threes. It's 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 AD in the mid range. It's LeBron at the rim. Um, it's it's them in transition. I mean, very a very good transition team when they when they do get out and run. I mean, that is. That is always one of the big swing factors for the Lakers. Are they taking advantage of their opponents in transition when they have that smaller lineup with AD at the five? Um, it's been devastating. And that's one of the things that I'm obviously going to be watching. We've talked about this in the past. If it's Houston, what does the Lakers lineup look like? Frank Vogel said that you know they want to assert their will and they want to you know play Lakers basketball and all of that. But we saw it in the seeding game against Houston when Frank Vogel took that opportunity to give JaVale McGee the night off started AD at the five and and brought Dwight as the primary uh, big, big off the bench. Uh, do you think that if it's Houston, we're going to see that again for game one? Or does Frank stick with what has worked, try to um, stick to their brand, and then adjust as the series goes on if necessary? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of the proactive against reactive debate. You know, do you wait to be hit before you make your chess move or do you make your chess move right away? Typically, you know, I know Steve Kerr, I've had conversations with him about this in the past. When you are the top seed, you don't want to show panic to your own team. If you, you know, you won the West pretty convincingly this year, you believe that you are the giant out West as the Warriors did in past years. He was very hesitant to be the first team to make the move because then it's like sending, it's basically sending a message to your locker room like, hey, we need to adjust to them. Where it's more, you know, you want to say, hey, no, we're the favorite. You got to adjust to us. Now, then Houston goes up 2-1. Houston even wins the first game. And it, and part of that is it's clearly, hey, JaVale just can't survive out there. Um, you know, you, you need to go to Kuzma in the starting lineup and basically go AD at the center for a bulk of the game. Uh, sometimes you just got to do that because that's the only way you're going to save your season. But my expectation, just reading Frank Vogel as a coach and just his personality, his style... I expect them to start their normal starting lineup almost as, hey, we're going into the series saying we're the Lakers, we're going to be the Lakers. And then, you know, that might change very quickly, but I just think that's how they start. We will be back after this. I think obviously what happened during that lead-up game against Houston, I just hate saying seeding round over and over and over, but in the game they played in Orlando against Houston already, Frank Vogel might have tipped his hand a little bit toward you know, what he was anticipating in a potential matchup. 
But I don't think that that means that he is um, all in on that as their starting point. I completely agree that I think Frank's attitude on this stuff is make teams bend to your your will. And often that has worked. And obviously, you know, Portland tried to adjust with their two bigs and the Lakers, you know, it, had, it was effective in spurts, but the Lakers really weren't thrown off by that, uh, the starting Whiteside and, and Nurkic together. And I think that at the very least, Frank is going to give the JaVale, Dwight, AD rotation a shot to overpower Houston. But I'll tell you what, watching Houston in this first round against against Oklahoma City, I've been very impressed by P.J. Tucker in his matchup with Steven Adams. The Rockets are playing really well defensively, getting back as a team, not something that we are really accustomed to with Mike D'Antoni teams. They are better defensively than I think maybe any Houston team that has, has come before them. You may be better positioned to... Say, tell me whether that's They're true or not. They're tricky in they, the playoffs. They're tricky. You know, I can remember them in uh, past Warrior series where if you just looked, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, they were 12th in the regular season in defensive ratings, so they're really an average defensive team. It's like, yeah, but they didn't try most of the regular season. Like this, the way I'm watching these line, you know, these guys built like linebackers. That's what the Warriors used to right. always call them. You know, the Eric Gordon, the Tucker, even Trevor Ariza back in the day, although he, you know, he's he was like Robert thinner, thinner wing. But Daniel yes, House. Harden even Harden as a team defender as a transition defender not good he's going to be generally you know jog back he's going to miss a rotation he's going to kind of olay at times but uh you know bigger guys see James Harden and they think they can post him up and they can't really move him like he can be a pretty decent individual defender when he wants to be and he has quick hands he'll get a strip here a little like weak side block when you don't know he's there um so yeah they're they're a challenging, strange defensive team to deal with when they're locked in. And yes, I would agree. Like they, they've shown they're locked in. Now, one to me, one major issue for Houston right now, and you know, this might be the reason they we shouldn't even talk about Houston because it might be the Thunder. It's like Westbrook is so out of sorts right now. He was terrible in, in game six. He's the in my opinion, the reason they lost. I know some people blamed Harden for not going and getting the ball from him late, but Westbrook was using a bunch of possessions. And they were just, you know, turnovers, bad shots. He kept getting lost defensively. You know, we talk about another guy who physically can be an imposing defender, but even way back to his early Thunder days, he he kind of mentally can float a bit on defense. I saw him lose Gallinari a few times last night where he just kind of turned and watched and So Gallinari repositions and Westbrook's like, oh, whoops. Uh, and, and, you know, so to me, they're trying to fit Westbrook back in and, and, and remesh around that. But they were playing better before Westbrook got back. Um, and that's maybe the uh, task of Game 7, not only to win it for Houston, but if you're the Lakers, what would scare me a little bit is if they not only win Game 7, but if it's like Russ looks really good. Because, I mean, I would flip this to you. You remember that. I think it was February. It was that first game where they went no center Covington. I know Covington right. played well, and that was kind of the story. But Russ was awesome in that game, right? I think he had like 34, really closed him out. Um, and he's when he's at his top level, he's very dangerous with the floor spread around him. But when he's bad, he's like destructively bad to a team. Right. And I mean, the way he can get downhill and and really the, the Rockets, all of them, that's a problem for the Lakers, who, by the way, are not a great transition defensive team. I mean, they're half-ish, like kind of right in the middle of the pack, maybe 13th when you and I looked it up earlier this month, or I guess last month because it is September now. That is an area that they can be exploited. And Russell Westbrook is obviously going to know that. And if he is firing on all cylinders, finally you know, find some rhythm and some confidence and is able to attack you know, the Lakers uh, off the rebound. I mean, we've seen it 
you know, when he's been good in this series, when he's had his moments, it's him taking it off the rim and just, and just going. And that's obviously something that the Lakers are going to um, have some trouble with. So I think that's something to watch as well. But if he's not, you want to funnel that oh, ball yeah. to him and yep. you want him, you, yeah, go ahead. And he'll Russ, throw it right to footer. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. So I mean, we, obviously Houston coming into this postseason, coming into the season, there really was no thought that we would be talking about Oklahoma City in the second in the second round. I mean, them making the playoffs as a middle seed has obviously been a, a great story for the NBA. It's been a, a great season for Chris Paul, who Houston had kind of written off after giving him the big contract. Um, the thought was that Oklahoma City was going to you know tear it all down at the trade deadline, trade Gallinari, trade Chris Paul, you know, break it up. And Sam Presti was going to have to work his magic again from the ground up, building around Shea Gilgis Alexander. Obviously, it didn't happen. And now we're here where Chris Paul is 48 minutes away from a matchup with his bubble boat, banana boat, banana. bubble buddy, LeBron James. Banana boat, bubble rival, potentially. There we go. So I guess we do need to give the Thunder a little shine here and at least a little consideration because we've spent the bulk of now two podcasts talking about this Rockets matchup that may not happen. If it is Oklahoma City after Game 7... On Wednesday night, if the Thunder somehow prevail, what is the one element that the Thunder bring to the table that should scare the Lakers? Or is it just a gift from the heavens and they win in five and, and await the Clippers? First of all, yes, it is a, it is a major gift for them. I think um, the mindset difference. If the Thunder win, they game seven, that's Super Bowl. That's Chris Paul's Super Bowl. He's never won a title. That will feel like a title just because of all the... The side stories, the the context, the history that goes into it, which includes the Chris Paul flame out in Houston, the you know r- tension between him and James Harden in that organization, the trade for Westbrook from the Thunder organizational perspective, it's such a win. Like, haha, we took two first round picks, we swapped point guards, and our point guard then beat you in a series. It's just such a monumental win for the Thunder organization if they got by Houston. That would be almost like a celebratory post game, I can imagine. And even if they went into the second round and lost 4-1, let's say the Lakers, it's a completely shake hands, mission accomplished season. You know, they got Shea Gilders Alexander and, and some of those young guys, playoff experience. Chris Paul really just got to feel like that would feel so good for Chris Paul to do. And I kind of just think that I, I, look, I don't. I'm not going to say they would lay down to the Lakers. There just would not be the desperation that would come from a Houston team that, as we've talked about, is just kind of at the end of its core. And to them, a mission accomplished season is a title, uh, and that's very different from the Thunder. So, to so that to me is where I think it's a huge win for the Lakers if they got the Thunder. Now, if we actually want to get into like you know matchups, X's and O's type stuff, I mean, Chris Paul's a thorny guy to match up with down the stretch. Uh, you know. Just kind of the wily tricks. Steven Adams is a big body that the Rockets obviously don't have. And that, you know, I think the Lakers would prefer to match up with a team that is more traditional like the Thunder. But you still got to keep Steven Adams off the glass. Uh, you got to watch their shooters. Like, they have good players. And, you know, the Lakers would have to be in tune. Like, the Thunder will beat you if you're just... It's almost a little, like, Spursy of old. And I'm not talking about the Tim Duncan Spurs. I'm talking about like the lesser talented Spurs that were still a playoff challenge because they were going to be ready. They were going to be led by a veteran like a Chris Paul. And like you, they weren't going to necessarily beat themselves. But if you played well, you should beat them. Yeah, and I, I just think that there would be a lot of, um, you know, I think there would be a lot of enjoyment that Chris Paul would have in a matchup with LeBron. I don't, they've never played each other in the postseason. That hasn't happened. LeBron's been in the East, obviously. These are two 
two guys, much like LeBron and Carmelo Anthony, who are you know consider each other best friends. I think that on the personal level, there'd be a lot of um, a, per- a lot of personal pride on the line. But like like you saw with LeBron on on Melo, um, he took a lot of pleasure in in almost fouling Melo out of game out of game five. So I think you know the storylines really for the rest of the way in the West. No no matter what happens, there are very juicy, very rich storylines going forward. With Houston, yeah. you have I mean, listen, I mean, one thing that we haven't gotten to, and it doesn't totally matter, but like we have we could potentially have Mike D'Antoni versus Dwight Howard in the Lakers' first playoff game since Dwight Howard quit on Mike D'Antoni in 2013, or in the first in their first playoff run since. And so um, you know, that's you know, that's kind of just a storyline, much like what you're talking about with Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Obviously, that is a much fresher wound uh for both of uh both organizations and and would feel much more like a, you know, a, a, a knife in the ribs uh, to the Rockets if Chris Paul were able to uh, bounce them from the playoffs in the first round. But we have that. And then whatever happens in the second round, or I mean, assuming the Clippers take care of the, the winner of the Utah-Denver series, um, that's those storylines we've been waiting on for an entire year with, with Kawhi and PG, the two hometown guys who everyone thought was, were going to be Lakers, who... Um, Ended up going to the Clippers instead. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, just good NBA narrative that awaits us as as the rest of these playoffs unfold. And then, of course, if the Lakers get to the finals, it would be the uh, Antetokounmpo Bowl. I don't know about that. You don't uh, think the Bucks? Uh, one zero Heat and Milwaukee's not looking too pretty right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into the East, but like the Heat look dangerous right now. Boston to me, like Boston with like Tatum, the way he's playing and like Tatum to me seems like he's making that leap into top 10 type player category at a young age too. So, uh, and honestly, if you're the NBA, just judging by the ratings that we've seen and just the markets that we know we're talking about, I think they're preferred Lakers path and the Lakers are obviously their biggest rating draw but you want a sexy matchup I think it would be Lakers Rockets obviously in round two they would prefer that way over the Thunder and then you know you definitely want Lakers Clippers in the West Finals and then I think NBA Finals wise I think the best story yes Lakers Boston because of the brands and the and the markets and also if it is the Celtics like Tatum will have made the superstar leap to have got out of the East so um and you know you could convince me at this moment, you could convince me any of the four remaining teams in the East come out of the East. Now, I we could rank which ones we think is more likely, which ones are bigger threats. But I don't think if I told you the Raptors were in it, you'd be like, okay, I guess like wow, they really like played smart defense. It's a surprise, but okay. Uh, the Celtics, the Heat, who are up one zero on Milwaukee and have their five and zero in the playoffs, have looked great. And even Milwaukee, obviously, they could correct the ship and, and make the finals. Yeah, to me, I think if you're looking at the teams that that the, are going to give the Lakers the most trouble uh, the rest of the way of the you know however many teams are still alive, uh, theoretically, like we're recording this on Tuesday, so it's possible it could be ten Utah, soon Utah, to be eight. Utah or Denver. Um, Oklahoma City or Houston, Clippers, and then, the, and then the four in the East. I still think a Clippers-Lakers Western Conference Finals. I want to say that's the real NBA Finals, but I think that if you know Milwaukee is playing you know, the way that we saw them play throughout the regular season, I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. But I do think the Clippers are still the, the toughest matchup and the team that are that the Lakers are going to have the hardest time getting through. Do you disagree? No, I don't. I mean, it's, it's really about Kawhi Leonard. 
you know, and we could talk about the Clippers' depth, and that is a strength if they're all playing well. Um, we, I know, on this podcast, have had con- yes. Well, and you know, we've had conversations on this podcast about Paul George, and yeah, is he a top ten player? Is he, you know, the thirtieth best player in the league right now? He's playing probably like the seventy ninth best player in the league, um, but. They got by Luka and the Mavericks because Kawhi Leonard just said, all right, I've had enough. Um, kind of like what Houston didn't do in game six, what James Harden didn't do, which was like, okay, this was fun little first round. You've taken it further than you should. I'm surprised we're in a game six, but let me just kind of you know knife you to, the, to, to end your season. And that's what Kawhi Leonard does. And he has a track record of doing it in both conferences now. Um, and we saw it again in that first round. Like he just, he's a killer. Um, and that is the danger of playing the Clippers still is yet it, it's the depth around, but it is that one guy who can just take over a series, take over the games that matter and just, and just close you out. Um, so that to me, he's much more proven than Giannis right now. I'm looking across at Giannis who will win MVP, but you're seeing it with Miami who are, they're uniquely built to defend him with, you know, obviously Adebayo, Crowder, Iguodala, Jimmy Butler, like so many different uh, style of good, you know, good to great Giannis type defenders. Um, but also Eric Spolstra, who has, you know, it's only been one game, but it's even in, to the Magic series, they are giving him the jumper and he's almost trying to prove he's got the jumper, but it's just not there like it is with a Kawhi, a Kevin Durant, even a LeBron. Um, and I'm a lot, I'm becoming more convinced that the Clippers are the biggest threat in Milwaukee's like declining in threat level. Is there a team in the East that you would look at? Is it Boston? Is it Boston the team that the Lakers would have the, the most trouble with? If, if you have your, your doubts about Milwaukee, Miami, I think, is um, certainly ascending, right? I mean, we're all starting to see the, the value of, of Iguodala and, and, and the way that that team plays. And, and Jimmy Butler has Just been a veteran. man Just veteran. Yeah, it's a tough veteran. Um, Lou Collar, you know, hard-nosed, whatever you want to call it. Um, team a lot like you know you're kind of seeing from some of the guys with Houston I guess Toronto's like that Toronto's too. like that yeah ab- absolutely and I don't expect them to to go quietly in that series again we're all kind of prisoners in the moment this is covering playoff basketball where like you know whatever happened last is kind of like informs you know Milwaukee you know somebody might be listening to this podcast in late in the week like Milwaukee's up 2-1 and rolling what are they talking about or even yeah like you said Toronto could flip the series but I think that best looking team in the east as i'm speaking is boston it's a tatum thing he just he looks so good to me right now what do you remember about that boston lakers abc game like anything from pre-stoppage was so long ago but like tatum i remember being really good in staples right Uh, yeah oh the game at staples yeah i don't remember anything other than jason tatum being really good and i remember that being because this is the one the lakers won and it felt like the it was a close back and forth game down the stretch and it felt like that game kind of was the beginning of the stretch where the Lakers really established themselves in the West, where it felt like a little bit of a coming out party where they'd been good, the numbers had been good, but they hadn't really beaten anybody yet is how it felt. Like if you looked at who the Lakers had been beating, it was, you know, they were beating all the teams they should be beating and then they were losing close games against, you know, top contenders. They'd lost to Houston, they'd lost to Boston on the road badly. And to me, that was where they started um, really finding themselves, especially in close games. I'd have to go back and look at exactly how that game ended, but... For me, it was you know they went from there. They beat you know they had beaten they beat the Sixers and then they go on and beat the Bucks, the Clippers, and then the season ends. This is all within like a two week span. 
So that to me was really kind of where the Lakers had begun to get their their real mojo and kind of set them up for what was appearing to be the stretch run and, and would have been, you know, kind of their sort of on-ramp into the postseason where they had all the momentum, it seemed, in the West and that they had really kind of seized the opportunity in front of them and then, and then the season stopped. That's what I remember about it. But I do remember that being a, a game that really felt like the best win of the Lakers season and that they had really started to figure some things out. Who's your East pick? Like we've talked about, it's four teams that you could all make a legitimate argument for. Who would you go with? Who do I think is coming out of the East? Yes. As of, as of September 1st in the morning. I mean, like you said, prisoners of the moment, right? So there's a part of me that wants to you know, take the underdog and go with go with Miami to, to get there. And I think that'd be a great story and real validation of heat culture and, and all of that. But I ultimately still think what we saw from Milwaukee in the regular season is the real team. And I think they are going to figure that out and get back to it. I think the Bucks are going to be there in the end, ultimately. But I don't know. I mean, like, like you, I, I, I think that Toronto is probably not going to be able to win two more series to get there. I think that they're just going to be out. They're fourth on my power rank. Right. right they, now, exactly. And But it, you could convince me that any of the other three would get there. I, you know, Boston, I think, is obviously the team that is, I think, has played the best and has had the, you know, the most decisive path so far. I mean, I guess oh, I mean, Miami hasn't lost. So there's that. But Miami, to me, I feel like is going to maybe some of that magic is going to wear off and Milwaukee is going to figure some things out. If you take down Miami, you're, it's going to be tough. I will th- You know what I mean? Like they're not going quietly in any round. Based on what we've even seen in game one. I mean, that wasn't a fluky Portland over the Lakers, you know, kind of. Or ma- magic. You know, that didn't right. feel like magic bucks game one. No, I mean, it wasn't. It was, it was a, they went head to head. Both teams played you know, the way they wanted to play. And Miami was, you know, whatever, nine points better in the end. That to me was telling. I think that is going to be a close nip and tuck series, but I think the Bucks will play better. I think the Bucks are going to come out of that series and, and still be there in the end out of the East. They're just too sound and too talented. And Giannis, I, I, I know, is unproven, but this is where you prove yourself. This is where you earn that that leap from being an all-NBA player and a, you know, an MVP to being, you know, a, a championship level greatest of your generation player. Yeah, I mean I mean being an MVP is obviously the the height the pinnacle of of individual achievements in the NBA, but as we kind of are learning over the last half decade, MVPs kind of come and go. I've seen it with Russ, we've seen it with with James and and neither of them have won at a high level yet. And I think for Giannis to kind of go beyond that, he's going to win the MVP again this year. You know, he's got to come out of the East and and then you see what happens in the finals against I would say against LeBron or Kawhi, two guys who have have made that leap and have, have hit legend status. Yeah, Giannis is the best regular season player in basketball, but um, regular season basketball and playoff basketball are different. He needs to get past the, I think right now, rightful criticism that you know his style can be somewhat tamed in the playoffs by a smart veteran team who can scheme up against you, who will pack the pain against you. Um, and will force you to make jumpers and you won't make enough of them. Um, you know, you like he's shooting them. And like, I think that's important for his career moving forward is the confidence to show that, you know, look, I will take the pull up three. I will take the mid ranger, but man, sometimes they look bad. And I think he went four or 12 from the free throw line in game one. Like he has, I know we talk about his supporting cast a lot and you know, it's always framed in this idea of like, will he stay there long-term? They don't really have a co-star like Middleton's solid, but he's not your typical number two next to a, a superstar. Um, but Giannis also, and I, I don't, I'm not saying Giannis doesn't look in the mirror, but like I think sometimes, hey, Giannis has got to get over this. This is on him, and 
really a lot of it just comes down to his jumper. Sometimes he just wants to ram it down the throat and try to get to the rim so hard. And it's like, no, you got to solve this yourself. Either that's hitting jumpers or, you know, I don't know. I do think the Lakers would have a good scheme for him if they got, if they got there in the traditional October NBA finals. Yeah. Jeez. College football is like starting or already did start, I think. And it was like, had a few games. It's like the first round of the NBA playoffs. It's weird. It's about to get really weird. If, you know, middle of the NBA playoffs, MLB playoffs, NFL, like week three college football, half the conference is going. The sports world is about to be super hectic, but also strange at the same time with all the sports going, but fans not in any arenas. It's about to get weird. Well, it is going to get weird. And it was funny that the first college football game uh, was, was what, Central Arkansas last weekend? Yeah. It had a little bit of that like South Korean uh, baseball league feel where if you go back to May, April, whenever whenever it was. I remember the KBO, sa- yeah. Right. When everyone, when everyone was like glomming on to South Korean baseball and we were all staying up until midnight to watch to watch South Korean baseball because it was the first thing we'd seen played live in months. And it's, and obviously football has a hold on this country, unlike anything else. And so the first, the first football game was that same kind of feel. And it was funny. I turned on ESPN the other day and on my TV was a Bingham high school football game. Bingham high school is in suburban Salt Lake city. I covered them when I was starting my career covering covering high school sports in Salt Lake City. And they were a national power at the time and you know, were the number one ranked team in max preps and all that. But the idea that 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 they would be, you know, featured on, you know, a Friday night on ESPN, big ESPN, you know, would have been pretty far fetched. But here we are, I mean, in a in a world where we're still thirsty for live sports and you know, we have basketball, but football is coming it was kind of a, a weird moment for me personally, which has absolutely nothing to do with the Los Angeles Lakers. Hey, come on. We're like forty minutes into a podcast and we're waiting for the Lakers to get a second round opponent. So Is it major league when Bob Euchre says Ah, nobody's listening anyway. I hope that's not true. I don't think that's true. I think that we are way more interesting than the Cleveland Indians in the early days, in the early stages of uh, Major League One. But it is our show and we can do whatever we want. Yep. Next time we'll talk in, next time we talk, it'll be right around like, I think game three or four of the next round. Yeah, we're going to know a lot about where the Lakers stand and, and whether these, these, Questions we've had about a potential series come to fruition. How big of a deal the Lakers-Rockets size disparity is. Hey, what you talking about? It's going to be 2-1 Thunder in the second round by the time. <laughs> well, we'll find out, uh, and we will talk about it next time on the Forum Club. For now, I'm Bill Orem. He has been Anthony Slater. He will continue to be Anthony Slater, just not coming through your uh, car speaker or earbuds until next week. Thank you for listening. 